This episode of the Sportsman's Empire is brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Since 1952, Interstate Batteries has been evoking compassion and a trustworthy spirit into the surrounding communities. Interstate Batteries is a mission-driven company fueled by purpose and guided by their values. If you need help locating a specific battery, stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and speak with a battery specialist. They even offer cell phone repairs. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. I'm your host, Logan Medish of High Caliber History. We've here, we're here with Alan from the Gunbroker crew, and we've got our very special guests with us. We have John Snodgrass from Leupold and Kyle Lamb with Viking Tactical. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you taking time out of your schedules to be here. It's great Thanks to be here. Us. Appreciate you having us. So we've, we've got a lot to cover here, and obviously there's a, a, a lot of history, um, both with Kyle and with Leupold, and, and there's a lot of crossover and blending of things. And um, I, I think it's really interesting, you know, the, the partnership that you guys have together of finding ways to blend uh, the tactical side of things into the hunting world and, and how those worlds meet. So can you guys talk to a little bit of, of how, you know, why is that such a natural mesh? So from, from my side, on the, on the manufacturer's side, what we've seen is, uh, you know, if you go clear back to the 80s, like when we first started developing the Mark IV scopes and the Ultra scopes, um, that was very specific to a certain need for a durable scope that could come out of an airplane and operate anywhere in the world. So um, that durability that was built in and guys using those a lot for the last 30 years, um, you're, you're seeing those feature sets work their way over into the hunting world. Well, and yeah. hunting has changed a little bit over the last yeah. 10 years, too, where, you know, before you had to be wearing camo to jump out of an airplane with a gun. Now it just means you're going on a sheep hunt, you know. Yeah, or yeah, or to target. Yeah. <laughs> and I think most of us, I mean, I, I didn't, honestly, I didn't grow up with any high-speed optics on my rifles. I grew up in South Dakota, and I had a 30-30 lever gun that I killed my first deer with. But then all of a sudden I'm in the military, and I get exposed to this equipment, and I'm like, Leupold, I've always aspired to have one, and now Uncle Sam issued me one. It's not <laughs> officially mine, but now I have it, and I started to learn that. Now, we did struggle. We, we, had a, we were talking about this the other day. We had mill dots, and then there was the discrepancy between mill dots for the Army and mill dots for the Marine Corps. Mm. So there was that whole discussion. And then we had minute of angle dials on our scopes. So we had a lot of things we had to, to overcome. We understood minutes of angle because we're Americans, yep. but we had to learn mills. And then all of a sudden we learned mills. And then all of a sudden loopholes like, hey, we're going to make the stuff the way you actually need it. And that was the, that's what really enticed me as a military guy to start working with loopholes is because their engineers, they, they didn't have John and three other people between me and an engineer. Mm -hmm. I literally got to sit down with an engineer, not just me, but several military guys and say, well, here's what I would have wanted. Or here's what I want right now. Because we had first time I met Vicky, yeah. I was still in the army, oh, yeah. and Vicky Peters, she's she's amazing. Oh, it, yeah. I've, I've had her sit down and try and give media a, a optics 101 class. Uh, she's forgotten more about light than I'll ever know. I mean, she's amazing. Well, and what's what, what's been cool for me to see is with guys like John in there, he understands and he also shoots. You know, and that's one of the problems we run into in this industry we're in 
is that we have people sometimes that make products, but they're not a user. Mm -hmm. John's yeah. a user and I'm a user. And when, when I say something's not working, he understands why, because he's an end user as well. So I think the, that was on the military side. And then the other thing, understanding front focal, rear focal, and what we were trying to get out of some of these scopes, you know, some of the lower powered scopes, why do you want a front focal scope when you can't see the reticle? Well, how can they fix that so we can still do that, but have a reticle that can be seen? And we just presented, here's the problem. They solved the problem, and now we've got a great, a great product. You know, and the Mark IV is a good example mm -hmm. of that. Yeah, the... the one thing that you mentioned, Kyle, that I think is interesting because I didn't understand, maybe you can touch on it a little bit, the difference in MILDOT between Army and Marine Corps, you said it was the difference? Yeah, the Army's was correct, <laughs> and the Marines was not. But see, the thing it's is, they can't math. do math. Yeah, Marine math. So, so yeah. what I, here's, here's and John's going to have to correct me when I say this all wrong. <laughs> the Army was 3.375 minutes of angle per mil, I believe. Okay. I use 3.5 because that means there's 125 thousandths difference at 100 yards. I can't hold that. So the Marines, when, when we actually tried to pin somebody down, this is when I was still in the Army, somebody at Leupold said, well, actually, they're the same. So we thought they were different, but they were the same. I don't know if that's true or not. The bottom line is there's no way that the human eye could even measure yeah. that unless you were out at 2,000 yards, but uh -huh. then that's kind of an unrealistic target anyway. And then there was some of the mills were more like football shape versus round. Yeah. The good thing nowadays is Marines, Army, we're on the same sheet of music because right. everybody wants, you know, for the military, if a guy gets a, a, a Mark IV, the mills are the mills of the mills. Mm -hmm. The dials are mills, mills, mills. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So right. it's going to work for every one of those guys. They understand it. And for the people out there watching this, if you're all scared off because you don't understand mills, it really doesn't matter. It's just a, it's a, it's a measurement. Mm -hmm. So if you have a spotting scope or a range finder or whatever, if it gives you data in mills, you won't even know. Yeah. Really, right. the, the big breakthrough is just having your dials and your reticle in the same language and not having to convert back and forth. Right. Because the big difference between Army and Marine mills is the Army mill dot master was pretty standard where the Marine one had to be crayon friendly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so it's, it's actually pretty funny because like, here we are in 2024 now and everybody just has this expectation that, you know, they I've got this awesome mill reticle and I'm going to be able to measure and shoot and I dial in mills and what everybody either is too young to know or is too old <laughs> to remember is if we go back to 1985, 86, a mill dot reticle, a mill was something you used to figure out how you, far you were going to launch artillery, right? It, it really had nothing to do with what we were doing in the shooting world in 1985. That's why I have a mill, a mill reticle on my 4570. So, you know, here we are. 50 years later, 40 years later, and it's like, oh, we can actually use that thing for more than yeah. just range finding, right? So it, it really was, we didn't have laser range finders. So how do, how, how do I know how far away that thing is? Well, I, I've got this tape measure in my scope, and I can compare it. And they were all MOA dials at the time because you weren't using the reticle to shoot. Yeah. You were using the reticle to figure out how far away what you're going to shoot is. Yeah. Well, yeah. In, the, in those days, too... We were talking about, we shot a match this weekend in Arizona together. John crushed me, by the way. <laughs> but what we were talking about was back in the day, if I shot a silhouette at 600 yards, man, I was, I was like, yeah, I'm the man, you know. Now we go out and we're shooting with civilians, not even military yeah. people. They're shooting headshot size plates at 600 yards. And, and 
they don't even think twice about no. it because they have yeah. one they have the optics and then they have everything else that goes with the optics yeah. and if you look at what we had back in the day our guns are relatively the same as they were back in the 80s the 90s the scopes are not yeah. right you know john and i have talked about this for the better part of a decade how you know when, when you and i started working together a thousand yards was still something you probably had to have a rifle built for mm -hmm. you're probably doing some hand loads and it was probably a 30 cal and then at some point 1450 wherever the rx 1000 came out you know we talked of doing a media thing of, of a thousand in a box where right. you could get a weatherby vanguard or a savage access and yeah probably still 308 at that point but put the good you know like you said the, the optics have caught up to the ballistics right. and put the get the right ammo on there and the right tools and the right training and after, the only thing left is calling wind. That's still the art form. Yeah, but and after that, everything else is weaponized. <laughs> God, or, for some reason, God always gets involved with this, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> or, or as we found out this past weekend, actually finding the targets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we had a little trouble yeah. there. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I actually had a foolproof method for wind calls that I tried to sell to Loophole, but the, for some reason they wouldn't go for it. Oh. It's, yeah, whenever we were on a line, I would make sure that I was spotting next to John, and I would turn my electronic muffs all the way up, and when I heard John say, hold two right, I would tell my guy, hold two right. <laughs> <laughs> and I never failed. I was the best wind caller on the line. Thank you, you know, to Peltor for that. There yeah. you go. Way to, way to one one of the other <laughs> things I wanted to bring up about what we're doing now, if you hand me one of those Mark Fowers there. So back in the day, we, we had so much trouble with we had to uncap or if we – we did stupid stuff. You know, we're riding around ATVs or razors or horses sometimes. We mm -hmm. actually used our, our equipment. And always our scales would get twisted, our, our knobs would get twisted. And that's one thing, just, you know, being able to lock back at zero, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but for a warfighter or a hunter, it's a mm -hmm. huge, huge deal that you pull this yeah. out of a, off the side of a mule or you pull it out of a Black Hawk helicopter, either way, we want to make sure you hit your target there. So right. little things like that, and this to me is, is one of the easiest systems for that. So. Yeah, I don't know. There, it's it's really been fun for me to see how how well. Yeah, I've always enjoyed the locking turrets because there's something you know something I think a lot of us have at home. I've got that box of just random stuff in the gun room, and mine is filled with loophole Allen wrenches and turret caps. And I can't <laughs> tell you what scope it came <laughs> off of. I took it off at some point, and I found it on the floor later. So it's just yeah. thrown in the box. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's funny. It's like the locking dials are huge. Because do you remember like the old Mark IVs? when you're using them at night or if something happens, like, okay, dial all the way down, yep. all the way left, and count your clicks back, and hopefully yep. I'm back at zero, right? Yep. And that's, that's just how we use we them. Actually had, we actually had little lights, those finger lights. We'd put them on our scopes right there behind the turret so we could get, um, we could get back to zero. Interesting. Because it was easy to get up. You just dial up. You would yeah. know what they are. I mean, I don't do that as much now because I'm shooting different guns, sure. and my rangefinder is going to tell me where to go. But we had a little finger light right there. It's like, oh, crap, where are we at? Turn that on, go back. Okay, I'm at zero. Okay, I'm good. Now I can, wow. I can have a starting point again. What? I, think, I mean, that's the exact example of the progression that we're talking about. I mean, something that the warfighter depends on their lives on, you know, can ruin a once-in-a-lifetime hunt for somebody. But even if you're just a range shooter, you know, with the urban intrusion on shooting ranges, if you don't know your scopes on two rotations instead of one, and you're lobbing stuff over the berm, it's a bad day for everybody, right? You know, and one thing I I, I really want to get into because I you know I'm a history nerd and that's my background and everything. And, and Kyle, you sort of mentioned a little bit. I'm of a it. nerd too, so <laughs> go ahead. That's great, you know. <laughs> but we're you know you're talking 40 years ago, you know 30 years ago. The the guns haven't changed, the optics have, right? And so uh, you know for for people who are watching uh, or listening, um, uh, unless they've been living under a rock. 
they they know the name Kyle Lamb and they understand 1993 Mogadishu Black Hawk Down. So talk to us a little bit, if if you will. You know, what kind of optics did you guys have in 1993? And what you know? What what were the the drawbacks and the hindrances to that stuff that, yeah, what that did you, you guys wish you were? Had? Yeah, yeah, you know, what were you running, and, and what did you wish you had? And well, yeah, that's a good question. We we probably, I would say this at that point in time, we probably didn't know what we what we needed mm-hmm. because we we just we hadn't been deployed to combat like that. I'd come from Fifth Special Forces Group, so I'd been to Desert Shield, Desert Storm. That lasted like four hours, so there wasn't a lot going on. <laughs> But the first thing I noticed, the first engagement I had was that, well, first of all, our optics were mounted high because we had carrying handles on our CAR 15s. We had aim points on most of our guns, and the dot was huge, and we were hunting very small people. And I'm not trying to be disparaging. The dots were bigger than the person, Uh so you had trouble making a precise shot. Then you had to hold your head up high because you had had your, your sights mounted higher. So... Two things had to happen. One is we had to ch- cut our cher- carrying handles off, which guys were doing that. Then, of course, the M4 come out later, and we lowered that sight. Then we still had the problem with the dot that was too big. And if you look, you know, let's fast forward to the LCO. When Leupold made that, that dot is small. It's precise, you know, and, and that, that was one of the reasons I really liked that optic. Yeah. So that was the, the challenge there. On the other side of that, we had our snipers with us. They had great setups because they had – uh, 300 Win Mag bolt guns with Leupold scopes on them. They had 308 bolt guns, which I don't know that anybody brought a 308 bolt gun to Somalia because it didn't. Re- it doesn't make sense to have a 308 bolt gun when you right. got a 300 Win Mag. Yeah. Sure. But they also had 308 gas guns, which were M1As, M14s mm-hmm. at the time. I'll tell you a quick war story. There's a guy, um, Randy Sugart, that won the Medal of Honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a good friend of mine, a guy named Brad Holling, who lost his leg in Somalia, got blown up in a helicopter, lost his leg. He was working with a guy named Dietz to do these prints for Somalia. And I'm not really a gun guy. I'm a shooter guy. So that means all the guns that I see around me, and I remember that stuff. Like, I have a guy in my class. I see him five layers later. I don't know anything about him or his family, but I remember what gun he shot in that class. <laughs> so he comes to me and he says, hey, I want you to see this Dietz print, see what you think of this. You know, it's got Gary Gordon, Randy Shugart, it's got uh, Michael Durant, you know, this whole rescue thing where they in, went in and earned the Medal of Honor. And he, he shows me, and I go, oh, I see, yeah, Gordy's gun. That's right, because he had an integrated um, suppressor. OpSync, I think, made those suppressors that were built into the guns. He had an aim point on that gun. And then I looked at Randy's, and it had a Leupold optic on it. And I said, that's wrong. He had an aim point on his gun. He's like, he didn't have an aim point on his sniper rifle. And I said, yeah, he had an aim point on it. Man, I don't know. I was like, okay. And I just went off to the chow hall to eat chow and go back to work because uh-huh. I don't care about Dietz and his print, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, he came to me a little bit later and he said, you know, you're right. We found a picture from the day before the 3rd of October and there was Randy's gun and he had put a name point on it because he wanted something that, something that was faster for acquiring targets. Because remember wow. at that time, there were no low powered good scopes. They, right. they, they didn't exist. So that's one thing. When we left... When we watched Super 6-1 get shot down and crash to the north of our location, we had to fight to that site. The problem we were having as we fought there was we couldn't, we couldn't see the enemy because they were shooting from secreted positions back in buildings. One guy on our team, a guy named uh, John Hale, he was my team leader at the time, he had a three-and-a-half power ACOG on his rifle, the, old, the big one that had the red dot yep. in it and the big thing down the top of it. Yeah, yeah. And he could 
pinpoint targets for us with that, and then we we would engage with our with our aim points. So okay. So what comes out of that that firefight for me? One is we need better medical equipment, you know, and that goes back to the you're you're a history buff, so you're yeah, familiar right. with the Battle of Shiloh. Yes, you know what happened right there. So the 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 Southern gentleman that was killed that happened to be in charge of everything, a guy named Johnston, um, Albert Sidney Johnston, he was shot uh, just close to the top of his boot. He ended up bleeding to death because they didn't put a tourniquet on him. He was with the governor of Tennessee at the time. Mm-hmm. One of our vice presidents was within 100 yards, um, Breckenridge. He mm-hmm. was also a southerner, southerner fighting the northerners there. Um, he died from blood loss. And now we're in Somalia a long time later. Yeah. And we don't have tourniquets. So the very first thing that all of us wanted to do was get better medical equipment. Right. But then when we come to the guns, we need a low-powered optic. We prefer it to be variable-powered. And Leupold has done, they've crushed that market. Everything from, there's a scope we were just talking about a few days ago, the Hammer oh, came out. Yeah. It was a four-power optic. Unbelievable. The one to four, that scope right there. I mean, that's the perfect scope for for any warfighter to make those precision shots. Right. And then when you go to the sniper side of it, well, guess what? Leupold's making reticles that work at low power. So now you can dial back your reticle if you're a guy flying around a helicopter because it's hard to find somebody in a 12-power scope when you're going yeah. 90 miles an hour. Sure. Um, so they've an- they're answering all those questions there. And then we've mounted our optics lower. You know, the, the guns are basically the same other than we've got free float tubes and better, better uh, triggers in them on the AR side of it. Right. On the bolt gun side, there's really uh-huh. nothing. There's really nothing. Maybe a chassis. Oh, so they put them in a yeah. chassis. A yeah, that's chassis. about the only thing. So because well, the Battle of Mogadishu really was kind of the the impetus that kicked off the whole TC3 movement for battlefield medicine. Right? Yeah. You know, all the lessons learned out of that. You know, now is. Um, yeah, that's where clotting agents came saving, from. I mean, the thousands of lives that have probably been saved out of what we learned from Mogadishu on the TC3 well, yeah, side is insane. Just to think about knowledge of how to stop the bleeding. Uh, knowledge of how to apply a tourniquet and then knowledge of what, you know, like I carry combat gauze because yep. it's the easiest and the quickest to plug a hole with. It's expensive, but guess what? What's what's your family member or your mate on the battlefield? What's what's right. that worth? What's your life worth? Yeah, you know, well, and, and then the other thing too, with you don't get a warranty for your body and for using these medical yeah. products, but with these, you got a great warranty. So if you do hard use these, the military, it's a different story because yeah. they're going to break everything you give them. Oh, yeah. I mean, mean, you can't Joe proof everything. No. (laughs) Something is going to happen to that scope. But as a civilian, if I buy this Mark IV, it's got the the gold ring uh, warranty. This one doesn't have a gold ring because it's tactical. It's very tactical. Very tactical. But, you know, if you do have a problem with your scope, you can get it fixed. But we've come so far with the medical side of things. Every every single soldier on the battlefield, and I say soldier, and when I say that, I want to include the Marines Mm -hmm. as well. Um, they, they all have great training. They have great medical gear. And as far as the optics and stuff they're getting, they have pretty doggone good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, if you think about just the changes in, in 30 years, then our warfighters didn't have the medical equipment they really needed. Now it's 2024, and I took a plane to get here. So in my backpack in the back room, I probably got, I know I've got at least three tourniquets, a pack of quick clot, gloves, trauma shears, just because it's, I'm, I'm going to be on a plane and stuff happens. So I thought that was just Tuesday night at shop. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. So, <laughs> yeah. so what you know? You're talking about the the amazing warranty with Leupold, and and that's uh, Leupold's a, a 
an iconic brand and it's a household name. I mean, and I, you know, my grandfather's the one that taught me how to shoot and, you know, and the first hunting rifle that I shot, you know, had a loophole scope on it. And oh, highbrow. Yes, love. If I the rover, yeah. I've got my loophole optic on my... Thank you, grandfather. <laughs> he, he didn't say it was a high gloss. Grandpapa. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. sorry. No, you're good. Um, and so, so that's obviously a name that I've always known. You know, as being top-notch and high-quality mm-hmm. um, and, and a great warranty and stuff. And so talk, you know, John, this is probably more of, of your, your wheelhouse, but, you know, talk to us about the, the legacy of Leupold and, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, it, and it's, it's a great story. So Leupold started in Portland, Oregon in 1907. So it's been around, you know. A little while. 100, yeah, 118 years now. Um, and they started out in fixing, repairing, and making survey equipment. So in Oregon in the 1900s, there's tons of logging, building roads, building dams, stuff like that. So uh, it started with survey equipment and then moved into scientific equipment, water level recorders, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, here we are, we go into 1947 and Marcus Leupold's on a deer hunt using a rifle scope that was made by another company. It fogged up, he missed a shot, and he's like, hell, I can do better than that. And so that's basically when we started making rifle scopes. So um, we've been in the scope business since 1947. Okay. Prior to that, you know, having done stuff with the Merchant Marines and and other stuff, having to learn how to make things waterproof, because again, we're in Oregon, so it kind of rains a little bit. Um, And then working with, with the Navy and the Merchant Marines, they knew how to waterproof devices. And so from there, it was, you know, nitrogen purging was something that Leupold started, uh, being able to seal the scopes so you don't have to worry about water incursion. Uh, and it just, it's kind of gone from there. And, and as, as the years have progressed and as we've worked with more and more, of, you know, people like Kyle working with the military, working with the government, um, all that innovation that came originally from a guy who couldn't take a shot on a hunt to where we're at now, where... Um, now a lot of the stuff that these guys are bringing back to us mm-hmm. is going into the products that we're making for the civilian market. So it's can going I, full circle. Yeah. Can yeah. I add one more thing to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how do I know this is waterproof? They've tested it. Every single scope that comes from that factory gets dunked mm-hmm. and oh. brought to pressure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, it, there's no question. Well, yeah, it's built to be waterproof. No, no. It is. It is waterproof that means a, that means so much to the end user that you're not getting something that's cobbled together or whatever you know right and and i say cobbled together we've i worked in combat development in the army for a while too and we'd get stuff we're like this is awesome boom that is not awesome <laughs> i mean you know i mean one shot and it, and it wouldn't work right one of the things we quickly found out we when we first started testing some other optics against the leupold optics that we had in our guns we're like Oh, wow. Well, this other scope, it looks a little bit clearer. And then one of the guys brought up a good point. He goes, that scope that's on your rifle is 20 years old. So then we grabbed the new Leupold <laughs> and we're like, holy buckets. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everything is, it, everything's gotten better. And, sure. And they're, yeah. they're just, they're unbelievable the way they're yeah. built. The, yeah. the biggest thing I ever learned about scopes John took me in the back one day there and made me disassemble a scope. Thank goodness he didn't make me put it back together. <laughs> but I took a scope all the way down to, to, to all the parts, uh-huh. not completely. But when I saw that, then it, made, it really made me a believer yeah. in that made in America loophole right. optic, how tough that bugger is on the insides too, you know? Yeah, well, well, there's optics, and then as one of your former destructive, destructive engineers used to call it, there's optics and there's maracas. 
because he turned competitor optics into maracas real <laughs> fast. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I can't break him, and I, I can break anything and everything. So, yeah. Well, appreciate you guys coming on the show. Absolutely. John Snodgrass, Kyle Lamb. You know, John did bring up something. You know, I, I, I pinged him yesterday and asked what the, the biggest product they get asked for that they no longer make that they oh. want back. And, uh-huh. and and actually, it surprised me because my all-time favorite loop old optic came up, the, the LCO. I know, John or Kyle, you referenced it too. Um, fortunately, I took a look. You can still find them a gun broker. They're a little overpriced, about six six fifty right now, but it's worth it. They're an amazing red dot. And if you want to pair it with the Devo... There's a set on there right now for the dual combo for two grand. Hey, it's going go. way back. So way yeah. back. Yeah. That optic's awesome though. Oh my god. It's yeah. Uh, the the uh, uh, without giving away too much opsec, the the bedroom carbine and the safe in the bedroom wears an LCO. There so you go. It's 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 absolutely foolproof. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking some time out of your your busy schedules to join us on the show and and talk all things loophole and combat and hunting and melding it all together it's it's been a great time really appreciate you joining us thanks for having us yeah thanks for having us well that's it for this episode of the no low ballers podcast we appreciate all of you tuning in on all of the various platforms we really appreciate you joining us for this ride each and every week make sure you're subscribed on your favorite platform you can find us uh, all of the videos on YouTube and, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Listen and make sure you're subscribed there. Leave us some likes and comments. Uh, we do read the comments. We do respond to them. Um, we just really appreciate you guys tuning into the show each and every week because without you, there is no us. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, that is it for this week, and we will see you right here next week on the next episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. <laughs> <laughs>